0: What are thou drawn among these heartless hinds? Turn thee benvolio
1: and look upon thy death. I do but keep the peace. Put up thy sword or manage it to part these men with me. Peace? Peace? I hate the word as I hate hell. Oh, Montagues.
2: And thee. Bang, bang! Bang, bang! Hey, everybody. This is The Post rolls I am Raleel. On the line, I've got Bill. Bill Harzia. And we are very, very happy to be joined by Dan True, uh, one of the authors for many Mithra supplements. Um, you probably know him. Best from Breaking the Habit and Take Cover, the uh, two combat supplements. And we are here to talk about a variety of things, uh, including his upcoming works. I don't think we can uh, get this started without knowing a little bit more about him. So, Dan, tell us a little bit about yourself. um, You're Danish, as I remember correctly.
1: Yes. Hi there. Um, yeah, I'm Danish. I'm, I'm, I'm 31 years old. I've uh, been playing uh, role-playing games for a bit more than a decade, I think. Uh, doing LARP for two decades, or at least the first decade. I haven't really done as much the last decade in that department. Besides that, I also do historical um, recreation, like doing reenactment, and uh, I teach medieval Fencing and medieval fighting in armor, which I try to bring into the aspects of what I do in, in Mithras and what I do in my own gaming groups.
2: Is that kind of why you why you decided to do Mithras? Is that it, it supported your what you saw in your your recreation efforts?
1: Yes, to, to some to some degree. Yes, there are a lot of things in real combat that Mithras doesn't simulate. Real combat, you know, the stage combat and and, and tournament combat I thought. But it, there's a lot of things it doesn't simulate, but it does a much better job than a lot of of other systems and it simulates the important bits i think we have a point to go into detail more on that later but there are also some simulation points that you don't want even though there might be like physically more correct but uh so so yeah i think i think this is a great note when it comes to uh to recreating what i know from my uh, my historical combat uh, scene but and still be a usable system you don't have to uh, like look up uh, five different tables to right. uh, to make an attack so, and I also try to bring it into the non combat elements my my games are usually while they are essentially always fantasy they they tend to be much more based in history and what I hear a lot of other people doing not necessarily in mithras but but in general and i, I like to like apply to the little things like oh you know the city doesn't have a sewer because it's a city in the 15th century it doesn't have a sewer <laughs> stuff like that yeah. right so I'm trying to challenge some of the tropes and but every time I like challenge Trope. I try to like introduce the historical alternatives to to not just be a oh this is not correct because that's not fun. It's it's fun to challenge the trope and people and then if people are slightly confused and then introduce the historical correct version or you know more historical correct correct version in a in a fun way. I try to strike that balance in my own games and in what I write. Right, right. And uh, regarding the many supplements that so far those are the only two supplements I've had from TDM, but that is soon to change.
2: Well, I'm, so, I'm counting all the ones you have yet to write yet. I mean, there's going to yeah, 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 write course. at least a couple of more before this yeah. makes it on the air, for
1: sure. Yeah. And, and the people who've stuck around uh, the crew a long time, like back in the um, Mongoose Room Quest 2 days, mm. might remember my Eberron conversion, which was some of the first things I did in my, in this um, this environment, because I had just... I converted from D and D 3.5 edition to Mongoose RuneQuest 2, and about the same time I discovered Eberron and fell in love with that world. But then I had just abandoned the system, uh, and the system had it almost just been abandoned as well because it, like fourth edition D and D came. So I wanted to play in that world, but with this new wonderful system that I found, uh, and then I wrote a I, hundred plus, I think 120 page document on how to do Eberron in in Mongoose uh, RuneQuest. So. Uh, that was the first, like, big thing I did.
2: That's a pretty serious start for your first big thing <laughs> yeah. there.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was, and it took it took some time, but it was one of the best campaigns I've run. It was really, really good. And um, the campaign, <laughs> necessarily my, when I, I visited, I visited it again, thinking about converting it to classic fantasy, but then realizing essentially everything has to be rewritten because I'm a decade older. So, uh, <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know how, how it is looking at your old work. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yes, but some people might remember that, and that was great fun. Of nice. course, now it's a different system.
2: This is going to be a special two-parter of uh, Opposed Roles. Um, for the first part, we are going to focus mainly on combat and Dan's experience with that and what he does. And then the second part, we're going to focus on his upcoming works.
0: We've got a set of, of concerns or questions or areas of Mithras. I mean, combat, I suppose the first thing that you should say is, or that we could say, is that combat in Mithras is a big feature of the game. It doesn't necessarily mean that combat is the focus of your game, but it, it happens that the way that Mithras deals with combat is quite particular. I would also say that it's very distinctive compared to other Compared to RuneQuest and compared to other BRP games, there's there's a couple of things that make it really special, could we say? The place that we're going to start is skills, just in terms of, I mean, Mithras itself as a game is skills focused. So the question would be, okay, as far as skills go, how do skills work within the combat system itself?
1: Mithras is, is skill-based, and that means that you have a combat style, um, often more, at least uh, when you have either, uh, a combat-focused character, you'd have usually two, a cultural and a professional, and, and then you have a lot of secondary skills, which influence combat in certain ways so you can have a your athletic score your bronze score your endurance score your willpower score uh, your evade score can all all affect combat perception uh, is often overlooked actually and they can all affect combat to some degree more than your combat style of course your combat style and what weapons it includes and the trade it has is, is massively important for generating special effects and for make sure making sure you land a hit and avoid getting hit. But even if you have if you only focus on one and, and your main combat style, you, you will get tripped or you will get bled or you will get out ranged all the time because you can't follow up the proper distance distance management. And that means you have to make more well rounded characters. It also means that you have much more uh, at least doing some sort of character customization even with almost identical warriors so in in mythic britain for instance there's a good chance all all the warriors in a combat party will have shield sword spear some might be a noble and have a different trait than the others and the others might have shield wall and the noble might have i don't know mounted combat something like that people coming from a class-based system might think this is boring i mean i mean we're all identical we're all doing the same things But that does not have to be true. First of all, you can have someone with, you know, a spear, shield, and say a hatchet, and someone with a spear, shield, and a sword, and on the same combat style, but acting differently because one has the chance of, of, uh, of throwing the hatchet, and the other has the chance of impaling with the sword. Of course, they both have a spear which can impale, but you might decide to throw that, or you might decide to, like, stick that in one opponent and then follow up with the sword against another opponent. Going back to skills, one might have high brawn, the other might have low brawn one might have high evade the other might have low evade one might have high perception as i said that's often overlooked another might have low perception one might have low strategy and tactics one might not mm-hmm. all these things can have an incredibly big impact on how they function in a in a, in a combat going back to shield and uh, spear someone with a low evade in that case, will have a tendency to have opponents closing on them and not being able to decide what distance they work on because the opponent can decide uh, if, the, if the opponent has higher rate, right?
2: Or they'll be using their combat style to keep that person on the outside, right? They'll take a stab at that person as they're coming in rather than try and maintain the distance with them and it puts them in a, a more precarious position, right? Yeah, if they don't hit and stop them, then they're they're going to be in a very bad spot.
1: Precisely, and, and whether that is... I some people might you know Prefer it. If 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 that person then has a very high endurance and very high brawn, then they might simply want to like get that free start with the spear and then drop the spear and draw their sword or the hatchet and get to work on close range shield bashing right. and and trying to get a bleed with the hatchet or something like that. Mm. And that so that means you can have two warriors, one with the spear and that's let's uh, one one with a spear and high evade and one also has a spear but has a low evade but has that high brawn instead, meaning they can better work at the lower lower distances for like bronze would mostly be for avoiding a trip, right? for um, drawing out an, an impaling weapon, right. They might, you know, in some differences, one might be better than the other. It just it means you can have two warriors who on paper look very similar, but are differentiated by their secondary skills.
2: I think one thing about that is that you can have those two warriors and and trying to say that they're balanced against one another. Is sort of a, a fool's errand because they're yeah. they're not going they're not going to always be in the same situation. I mean, the the, the rest of the environment around them or the number of things that they're fighting go a long ways towards which one of those is going to be better. I mean, that, that guy who's got the the high brawn, he will be very good up close because he can get into a grapple if he needs to or he can pull yes. out that impaling weapon. Whereas the guy with the high evade, he will be very good against people with high numbers because he can outmaneuver, right? He, can, yeah. he, he may be able to avoid yeah. a lot more combat than the other guy can.
1: Definitely. And as I said, I mean, things like law, strategy and tactics and perception can become very GM dependent because if your GM is let's say new to the game or it's just hashing out a common encounter without thinking too much about it it can be hard to like find a way of saying how how can i reward the person with a high perception or the person with a high with a who's invested in law strategy and tactics but with a bit of planning and some experience you can usually uh, allow the let's say the lesser warrior Who's, who's invested in secondary skills like that with some other options and reward things like just like stepping back from the line taking a perception check and realizing you're about to get outflanked for instance yeah. and that might save the whole party against the total party kill or leads getting captured
0: one criticism that i've heard from a player or not it's not necessarily a complaint but like i've known someone to take the attitude that really the only important skill is the combat style because <laughs> all of the others are secondary and come up after your combat style fails so that well that is
1: definitely true but first of all your combat style only fails uh if you've been attacked or in in melee Uh, and that means that first of all ranged weapons you don't get a combat style roll against that, You uh, or you can try to parry, right? That's your combat style, but if you have a shield, but usually we're talking evade, uh, especially because you might easily have a situation where there are multiple ranged weapons and you can't parry them all. You don't have that many action points. You can have different other things. You can have like unstable ground where you need athletics. You can, you need your ride skill because you're mounted. Your uh, I don't know swim. <laughs> swim skill because there's a river and you're wading uh, to the waist, right? So there's a lot of options for getting down the person who has a hundred combat style skill, but hasn't invested in all the others. I mean, just here are some waste deep water. Okay. You're, you're not capped by your swim skill. Good luck. That's 30, right? Because you haven't invested in it. It's very easy to do things like that as a GM. And, and the other thing is this diminishing returns on the XP rules. If all you're thinking about is your combat style skill, at some point, you're just going to get 1% for each improvement rule. And is it really better to get 1% combat style uh, addition, well, plus 1% combat style or get Potentially plus five percent athletics medics' or weight perception. Plus five percent is a fair big in- increase if you roll to the high one. But least, even on average, it'll, it'll, if you're improving a low skill, on average you're going to get like two or three, right?
2: If you're going to focus on combat style, it, it probably means that you have a very limited view of what the environment is around you, right? Like yeah. you mentioned the waste, the waste deep water, but it it doesn't even have to go go to that. It means like. So you walk into town. Well, the town doesn't want you to carry around weapons because they want yeah. to the maintain power, right? They you you the the soldiers are like, "No, I'm sorry, you can't come in here with your polearm or your long sword. You are and you can't come in with your shield or your armor. You have to be in a much different position." And guess what? We have authority for that stuff, and there's four of us and there's one of you yes you have yeah. 110 with your dagger i'm sorry but there's four of us and we're going to make sure that you don't get a chance
1: yeah uh, and you know in cities you can always say like crossbows exist so <laughs> um they're, they're quite nasty in an urban environment uh yeah. my players have experience themselves so um and again you also you only have a certain amount of action points if you you might have 120 150 but if you can't coordinate because you're thinking that you, you just you're like this hero with a lot of combat style then as soon as you get outnumbered two to one or three to one you're going to fail at some point and then someone chooses disarm and you're suddenly on your basic unarmed skill again right
0: one of the questions that often comes up is what are combat styles <laughs> and what you know uh what would be suitable Makes sense, and we have answers, we have quite easy answers for that, but it's one of the things that Mithras does that's maybe unfamiliar, because it used to be that, you know, weapon skills were not only broken down per weapon, but attack and parry for each weapon with different skills.
2: Yeah, I I think I think combat styles is is a really really kind of interesting discussion. I mean he you know, Dan Dan kind of led led in with that a little bit where you have the the guy who's got, you know, everybody's got spear and shield and one's got a hatchet versus one's got a long sword and how that can really distinguish the character quite a bit yeah. i mean one one leads with a yeah hatchet. definitely you can well you know one leads with the hatchet yeah. and they both have spears that they can throw but maybe they're only carrying around one spear um so the guy who with the with the sword he can survive the the guy who can survive having his spear disarmed or, or cut in half because it's not a particularly strong weapon but the hatchet thrower may be able to drop that person before that even becomes an issue hatchets are a pretty good thrown weapon.
1: Yeah, and and so so they they can be used to both like at the same point differentiate characters because they have different combat styles. But on the other hand, a GM can also use it to like focus a group that are of the same cultures. If you want to play a game which is maybe in a Mythic Earth supplement or your your own Mythic Earth, let's say you're playing. 17th century France uh, in a mythic version. You don't want this classic D&D murder hopo where everyone is this ragtag, uh, everyone. You can have that a bit, right? If you want a grounded game where they're grounded in their culture and it feels more real, then they should all have some combination of of the same few weapons which are used in France at this point. Sure, you might have one in the group who's a complete loony who goes around swinging two flails. but That's about it, right? And that person would still know rapier and musket when they're not on the loony day, right? Imagine if the the free musketeers, if they I mean, one used a glaive and one used two rapiers and one used I don't know, throwing daggers. It would be a quite different story oh, uh, you, wouldn't
2: it, call them, you wouldn't call them the three musketeers yeah. right I mean they oh, wouldn't for, for, for one
1: right <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah. but still it would be a quite different story because they're not this band of people from the same culture using the same weapons that they've all grown up with they're not now just a ragtag band of mur- murderers no, um, it's, something,
2: it's something that really binds them together yeah. as a group it's a it's a you know it's it's a tool for your story to give them yeah. common purpose it's 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 a thing that can replace the well you're a r- ragtag band of adventurers that all met in a tavern one night which never feels quite all that satisfying to be honest
0: to pick that example is one of the things that binds the whole world together because everyone they meet all their antagonists also use the same weapons and fight in that same style yes. the whole idea of duty.
1: at least until they go to a, and, and at least until they go to a different culture and, different, right. and but that will then became oh shit they're using long spears here right there's this yeah. is, this is something different. And you're going right. to have that culture clash on the most fundamental level in your combat because your opponents are using uh, long spears and pistols right. and, and, and you're using rapiers and main gauches, right? Because you've, I don't know, visited Northern Africa or something like
2: that. That suddenly becomes a tool for the GM to, or, or for those people who aren't quite as combat focused or have a different set of secondary skills where they can look at and say, hey, you know, those guys don't look like the rest of us. Oh yeah, they're from North Africa and they, this is the language yeah. they speak and this is what we can expect out of them and then that informs the people who are like all right i i took all combat sc- styles uh, and, and now i know how to deal with that a little bit better
1: and it does certainly also also have a certain certain element of i won't say game balancing but game focusing element because when you have weapon tables people have a tendency to think like this is all that there's available but I mean why ever use a short sword at least in a straight combat if there are halberds available yeah. because this is a game setting mythic rome halberds have not been invented yet um so there's a different that's why we give our soldiers short spear, short swords and and javelins instead of halberds because they're a thousand years into the future um and yeah. uh, so you need com- if you just make everything available if you have a Dark Ages game game where people run around with helpers and glaives which they could if you just use the um, weapon tables raw like 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 before Combat styles, let's say back in uh, Mongoose Room Quest 2 right in, in those cases where you just have these weapon tables where all- essentially everything was free for all without a game mechanic to like tie them in and focus them into the the period and the cultures things just get weird you have scutums against the uh, rapiers and all sorts the things that are common in D&D but just don't yeah. make sense. And in, in D&D they just gloss over it and that's fine, it's a different sort of game but when you try to make a game set with, with deep roots into the culture it just it becomes weird.
0: We had a short discussion just before you started about what I call the 10,000 year weapon table because when you look in the book it, it, you could say well that represents weapons from a 10,000 year history potentially. You've got the time periods there with it you know ancient medieval renaissance whatever but it is something that people pick up on it's like well why would you use this when you can use this because it's you know on the on the weapon table or you know why don't they use this and they well it's common that people do exactly what you're talking about which is to ignore the setting and to say well why why would i use that when i can use this you know why why wouldn't i be using a great sword in in mesopotamia
2: i'll often see the the uh, the opposite one of that where somebody will pick pick a clearly suboptimal weapon for the scenario and then be upset that it doesn't work as well as that other thing right rapier is the classic choice for this uh, because everybody wants to play you know some high evade combat style sort of character and they want to use a rapier and i'm like oh you know rapier is a perfectly fine weapon but it's not designed to go against plate armor that's not how it works right like it's 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 designed to go for against people who are noble and who are in a civilization and who are fighting against people who do not have armor on and it's it's very deadly in that scenario but it's not a halberd uh, it's yeah. not a great sword. It's not a great axe. Uh, it's not designed to cleave through uh, articulated plate. It's just not.
1: Yes, and that again ties into the whole culture discussion because you might have, let's say, you have an a, a early Renaissance game where you have a plate-armored swayhander with this great sword, and and he, in all the open field combats they have, he's much better than the um, the noble with the rapier and the main gauche. Right. Uh, but then they enter a city and his great sword is confiscated and put under lock and hold until he leaves by the guard. And they then, they go to a, a party in the palace and uh, the swinehander has this eating utensil removed, but the noble can just waltz in with his sword and ra- with his rapier and main gorge because he's trained in that style and that style is appropriate for the environment they're going into. And everyone expects a nobleman to have his sword at his side to defend his honor. So in that situation, the swinehander who can, who can chop up people in lots of Armor on the battlefields and break uh, shield walls and, and pike walls is certainly completely useless because it's it's, it's removed from his ordinary uh, workspace. Right, this is a combat style that's based on your standing in society. The fact that you have high noble, dualist, or whatever mm-hmm. means that you can. Walk anywhere with your sword. You can walk into a church with your sword, or something like that. If right. that would be appropriate for your setting,
2: I think that is something that gets that gets missed in a lot of games: is the culture and and the the rules of that culture and how they apply to combat. And yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, laws laws about combat exist and have existed for a very long time. And uh, you know, it, it often gets ignored if if you're coming from a, a you know a system like D and D where it's sort of part of the genre where paladins walk walk a town with their with their plate mail and their long sword and their shield on and that's just expected for them to sit down to dinner like that i like, yeah, that's, yeah, not, precisely. that's it, not really how that works
1: It's funny that you, you don't need, usually you don't need that much convincing to tell people that this is actually how this game works because all you can do is like say, okay, if, if I, a male in fighting age, try to enter a modern bar or discotheque with a walking stick, like a cane the bouncer might not let me in because that's a weapon in my hands, but if I was 70 years old, no problem That's a walking stick. It's just that small example shows essentially what all this is about, right? I think
2: it goes a long ways towards making your game a lot more vivid, a lot more real, a lot make that story a lot more dramatic. The challenge is is there in in a very different sense than just a straight up, you know, hit points and how how quickly you can put somebody
1: down. So yeah, let's let's talk about special effects Uh, because they're. There's something that's fairly unique to Mithras. I, I at least in the way they're done. Of course, I mean, trip or initiating a brawl or disarming someone is in, is in almost every system. But Mithras just does it much more elegantly and much more, both realistically and more fluently and easier to, like, evaluate at the table than most of the systems do. At least most of the most other systems I've, I've handled.
2: For the, those who are, are are kind of new to Mithras, special effects are, are the, the additional things that you get when you, when you make an attack and they are unable to defend or you make a critical attack and they are unable to critically defend or you defend against a a miss that they that somebody has done uh this allows you to do a lot more with your combat than just straight up doing hit points hit point attrition what makes it so elegant and and frankly i agree with you that it is very elegant what do you what do you think makes it the most elegant
1: i'd say there are three reasons um one is that you pick the special effects when you get it and not when you need to make a choice that's the first part so in, in a lot of other systems you see people saying and I've I've had this when I played D&D like the fighter saying oh should I should I do a shield bash here or should I should I bull rush him or let's say they're already engaged so I can shield bash him or I could try to disarm him or I could try to trip him I wonder what's best let's, I have the same bonus in these, and it just becomes this long discussion whereas in Mithras you just you make an attack and if you gain a special effect then you can start thinking about what you want to do and if when you have a bit of experience the die sometimes informs that decision uh, because if if it's one of the special effects within a post role, it's not a good idea to take that if you've just if if you have a low roll whereas if you like just barely uh managed to be within your skill range then selecting on a post roll is, is is usually a good thing so the die starts to to guide a bit more and and put some restrictions on what players can do in the good way and that's i, I think that's really good because i've had a lot of th- times when they've like oh should i disarm should i trip and then they spend two minutes discussing with themselves and other people at the in uh, around the table start jamming in and then they roll the die and they roll a two when it doesn't matter uh you just wasted two two and a half minutes, right? The second point, because the way you generate it, I'm gonna slot in action cycles and and parry and attack here and say that the whole thing with, the differentiating and success, success generating special effects means that you, it's also interesting being attacked, yeah. and it's actually funny that very, very few, very few other games have this because it's not broadly necessarily done, but it's a rule when you design computer games—not a rule, but but a general guideline—that everything that shuts you down completely without any chance of acting is not fun. If say you have a multiplayer game. If the other person could just dominate you and lock down all the options, that's not fun. Even when you're on the receiving end of something, you should have options.
2: Yeah, I see, um, I see and, that more playing games too at the table. Like I, there, there are some games where where stun will become a thing, and nobody likes to be stunned because yeah. because it shuts down fun, right? Like you don't get to do anything at that point. And and like, well, I'm just going to yeah. sit here, and and you can you can hear it in their voices that they're frustrated by that. So uh, having Precisely. that having and that, that gr- opposition is important.
1: Yeah, and that can certainly also happen in first. you can get like stunned in the head and just be unconscious and of mm-hmm. course that's never fun right but up until that point there's been a lot of uh, times where if you were playing D&D there would just have been the GM saying oh this guy attacks you this guy attacks you here you actually have a choice each time should I defend oh he failed oh I'm gonna defend anyway because then I can trip him and then if I because I have a fairly good chance of succeeding and I know he already failed his attack um, so you get options when you're being attacked and that makes it a whole lot more fun because you don't have this uh, you, you need to, you you even if it's in the middle of the round and you've had it, it's a long time until you have your action. The GM might point on you and saying, I "Attack you! What do you do?" Which keeps you involved in the game um, throughout the whole round, yeah. right? Oh yeah, yeah. So I'd say that is the second point. Uh, the third point is that it sort of to some degree bypasses the HP economy. Uh, not not entirely. I mean, there are still fights that end with, with a limp torn off or a head smashed in, especially when you have two-handed weapons. But a lot of fights end when someone is subject to bleed, or sometimes even a trip. I mean, imagine if someone trips you in a real fight, and you're not that invested in it because it might be a childhood rival, but he's not a necessarily a bad guy, he's not evil or anything. He trips you. So, surrender. So, you can have a lot of these things where you. it actually said really well in in game of thrones where i think it's brawn at some point that says uh, if i nick this artery here there's no one around to unnick it then uh, it's going to be a short fight for you or something like to that effect right
0: yeah
1: and you can do that in mithras you can have i'm fighting two bad guys just one bleed effect on one and then i can focus on the other one and you Sure, you could say game mechanically. Well, the other guy, it it may be seven rounds before he goes down. Yeah, but think about the psychology. When he notices, and he might not notice, you might allow him the perception roll to check that he's bleeding or something like that, or you might just allow him to know. But when he notices that he's bleeding and he realizes there's no one around to fix that, is he going to panic? Is he going to run away? Is he going to stop fighting and trying to bandage it up or lift his leg into the air, whatever. So if you just apply some sort of common sense psychology, then suddenly the combat becomes a lot more interesting because you can do the bleed or you can do the impale. Again, imagine you're fighting someone and you get impaled in the stomach. What are you going to do? Are you necessarily going to continue until you're on two, zero hit points? Not necessarily. You might retreat to the back line and try to get that thing out of your stomach. So a lot of more a lot of more interesting things can happen, and often fights can end quicker than if you had to to remove a whole lot of hit points.
2: I think that actually ends up speeding up the combat quite a lot. It does. One of the first games that I played of Mithras, I don't know, I forget how long it was ago at this point. My character got a critical effect and and i chose to trip force fail and then compel surrender on this guy because and it, this was this was in the first action of combat and it's done right like it's done at that yeah. point there's no there's no move that i mean i put him into a bad position he could not get out of it and he's got he's got to beat a crit on on his compel surrender you know, I've held, I've held a, you know, I think it was a sword or something into his throat. And I said, surrender. And he does. It doesn't get much quicker than that.
1: Oh, precisely. And you, you don't have these where well, you have to remove 200 hit points off of uh, mm-hmm. a level 15 fighter, because that's boring mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Uh, at least it was when I played d d We just have these slots where you do 1d8 plus 5 hit point damage, and it just takes so long. And every round feels the same. Here, because of special effects... You're going to remember, oh, you don't necessarily remember, oh, that was when I rolled a 20 and I then did a lot of, uh, made a crit and did a lot of damage. You're going to remember, then I nicked that ardor in his leg and that took the fight out of him. You recounting as a player, your battles in Mithras is going to sound a lot more like a soldier recounting his actual fights than someone recounting a computer game. Because mm-hmm. they're going to remember the special effects and they're going to remember the narrative that brought into the fight.
2: It really does paint the picture a lot better, I think. It really sets it sets that scene forward. I mean, when you're talking about it there, but then when it comes around later, I mean, I still remember a lot of fights that we've had from Mithras games, and I can't remember half of my d fights anymore. It's just, they're just numbers, right? Yeah. It just doesn't matter, so.
1: Yeah, precisely. And they become samey, because they put up this, but well, at least I think, of course, you can have them not be samey if you do a lot of good encounter design, right? But it mm-hmm. tend to end up being samey, because yeah, they put so many rules Rules and abstractions in place that you suddenly have a hard time like breaking out of that room. And this is not going to be about harping on DD. It, a lot of people played great game, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. whatever oh, you approach yeah. about. But if you think of a rule system as some computer code that is running on your brain as a computer, then there's a lot of auxiliary systems that are already in place. We need rules to def- to decide how much damage a sword does. I mean, I've, I've chopped into meat with swords. So I have a fairly good idea. How, how a sword does damage, at least against a dead pig or, or, or a milk carton. But most people have no idea, right? So you need a system for the like, When I stab someone with a spear, what does it do? When I hit someone with a hammer, what does it do? But you don't necessarily need a detailed system for how do people move, who can reach each other, because that's common sense to most people, right? Whereas in a lot of other systems, you have this minute detail about you can move this many squares, and, and when you're in this square, you get a attack of opportunity on neighboring squares. And all these things, which are, when you think about it, You're just taking what everybody knows every walking person at least knows intuitively and they may have a discussion about it but but they can usually agree and there's a referee in the GM. every walking person has an idea of how these things work and then you're just putting it into a much simpler abstraction which doesn't capture the full flora right when with us just say you know you can move six meters and then unless you have the extra appendices from like a mi- miniature combat then that's almost the entire movement system and sure it leads to some questions but most of the, most of those questions are solvable with common sense and just thinking just imagine the scene would you be able to reach him you be able to take two steps and attack yeah you would okay then you can do that yeah, yeah. Uh, you don't necessarily need a detailed system for that because the more systems you introduce like that the more like a computer game or a board game it becomes which might be suitable for some people that's fine but i think that limits the narrative of the fight
0: Yeah, that's a great answer. I think what you've articulated there is where the complexity is in Mithras because it's often labeled as this, oh, it's a very complex game. And uh, yes, it's more complex than some, but one of the important things about it, I think, is what it does is it changes where that complexity is in the system. It's not necessarily more complex.
1: It's only complex where you need that complexity because you don't know how magic works. You don't know how swords work. You don't know how flying apes jumping out of 20-story buildings and throwing stones at you work. So you need rules to evaluate that. But you know how people move. You know how roughly they can reach, you know, have an idea about how long a spear is. Yeah, I mean, and because there are a lot of other things that neither D&D and Mifres does. I mean, there's no system that specifies when you drop an item, it lands on the floor, because you know that. So so why go right, the extra right. mile of starting to, to to tell other things? Because we're building on this common sense that we all already have from the physical world. It doesn't say in D&D or on any other system. This game takes place in the 3D world where time move, <laughs> moves in the forward direction. It, it's sort I of get, given...
2: I tell, Dispute that because i think there i think tune actually specifies that it takes place in the
1: 2D world <laughs> oh, okay yeah um. sure sure but but then yeah <laughs> and, and, and 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 there's the tales of the floating vagabond where the physics uh, are, are, are acting weird and out to lunch right so so of course mm-hmm. there are like uh, <laughs> actually, there is, there exceptions is a, to this world,
0: yeah but, there is a oh i suppose that's 2d as well there is a flatland going flatland rpg oh wonderful Wonderful. Which works in two dimensions. I was going to ask uh, this. Th- so on special effects, I think everyone that comes across them recognizes that they're interesting and creative. I mean, do you have any wisdom about the the analysis paralysis problem? People that are new to the system can get stuck when they're asked to choose an effect. I've seen this called out as a problem with a couple of long long term reviews. You know, looking at the system
1: yeah so so um, it of course depends on whether the game master is, um, has familiarized himself with the special effects or not. Mm-hmm. So in, in case the, the GM is familiar with the special effects, at least, uh, and the players are not, then the best option is that the players try to narrate what it is they want to do in this situation. So so the, don't think about special effects until you get one. And then when you get one, the GM asks, uh, so you gained a special effect. You're fighting fairly close right now. You have a sword and he has a club. What is it you want to do? Do you want to like kill him or do you want to run away? you just want to make him stop attacking you maybe give two or three choices right and then we say oh i'm i'm, I'm trying to kill him okay then select bleed or oh I'm, I'm i'm not the other side retreating i want to get away okay then select disengage or Right, So let's um, call that change range, whatever, uh, yeah. disengage, I think. And that just limits it. The player should be thinking about what they want to achieve, not what option from a list. It, it, it's again this computer gaming, board gaming-like thing, right? These are your options. These are the actions you can take in this situation. But the player should be thinking, as, as I'm a character in a story. And then the GM should translate that to the rules, right? and, and at least until the player can do that themselves. So th- so that's the option if the GM is familiar with the special effects, or at least can look them up or maybe have the combat cards ready or something like that. If if they're not familiar, if the GM is as new to the system as the players, I would, other than running some test combats before you start the game, or you can include them in, in your, you might have a game that starts with players, you know, being trained as gladiators or marines or I don't know, something. Whereas, so you have some mock combats with the with low, low costs in case someone messes up. So you don't lose the character in, in the first few episodes of the of the game. So that's one that, that way you will familiarize yourself. Or you can simply start limiting the number of special effects and saying, you know what, you're not very combat trained. All you can do is you can trip and you can change range and maybe one or two more to keep it interesting, but you can't disarm, you can't bleed, you can't impale. And then when you get a little more familiar, you start unlocking these things like you would unlock spells or heroic abilities or whatever. And, and that has been suggested. I've never done it myself, but I, I could see that working if you have players which are really uh, hit by this as a problem. Uh, simply limit their options. Uh, because there are a lot of options, and there's a reason there a lot, a lot of options. Because when, when you get to grips with the system, the options are f- actually f- much more limited. If, if you've attacked someone with a sword, that means you're at short range, or medium range or long range, uh, depending on the opponent's weapon, right? Then um, only a certain amount of things will make sense. And as I say, the dice roll will also inform it. So if you have 60% combat style and you've rolled 55, then lean towards the ones that have an opposed roll, like a disarm or trip because uh, or bleed. Uh, if you have 60 and you rolled a seven, then maybe avoid that because you're very likely to. A um, uh, seven would be a crit if you have just 61, right? But, but yeah. an eight or nine, right? A non crit, low success results then then avoid any of those uh, maybe change range or or um, press advantage or some- Air press advantages, right, uh, which are uh, a stable of, of, of the ones where have a low roll. So when you're actually at a grips with a system, you usually only have two or three actual choices, which are low, no, no good choices, uh, and and you will fairly quickly start recognizing those scenarios. So it will disappear. The problem will disappear. You won't have savvy Mithras players, or at least, at least not with a savvy GM, will have this analysis paralysis. But I recognize it can be an issue at the beginning.
2: Mm. Yeah, have you have you used any of those uh, any of those mind maps that uh, Hanu put together? The Hanu from Finland put together on on his uh, notes from Pav- Pavis log.
1: No, I haven't. Um, mostly because I usually go with the first of my own suggestions, where I just ne- give the players some options, right? Mm-hmm. But it could it could be a, a a good tool. I haven't actually played since he posted them. So, um, okay. but I am starting up a new group and some are new Mythos players, so it might be an option
0: in terms of the combat system is there anything that you do which is house house ruled or anything about that the combat system that uh, you wish it did but it doesn't are there any gaps for you or
1: well other than the things that i put in the supplement writing then um (laughs) uh, then uh, then no no i mean every time you you dive into a specific period and say okay i want to do 15th century i want to do 8th century something like that then you might have some things that need fine tuning to better fit that specific period uh if 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 you're going to any sort of historical accuracy you may not uh, decide to do that and that's completely fine but every time that you sit down and start world building about how this game is going to be of course there can be things that you need to change missing traits missing uh, combat style um uh, weapon traits or combat style traits uh, of course, you need to make new weapons and stuff like that. Uh, for like real house rules where we're manipulating the, the fundamental rules, I don't think I have any. I think, I think the only two that I used to have are actually, I think in raw, which I only later realized. And those were that if you got a critical, uh, you could choose, you got two special effects and you had from a critical. Only one of those could be a critical special effect. But then I saw loss saying the same in an answer on the forum. And I was like, Oh, cool. Because I, I, I thought it was silly. You can select both maximize damage and, bypass armor for instance on the same roll okay. or not silly but just incredibly powerful and, and a no-brainer right the, uh, limiting it to one critical means that you have at least some you need to make a choice between those two uh, but then uh, as I said found out that that's probably the way raw should be uh, interpreted the other was that you could other than a re-roll uh, on a lock point you could change the numbers around but I think that's also in the most current Mithra's book right
2: it is it is, and is it, yeah, I think it was for, either either imperative or the third printing but that is in there
1: and that, that's been House where I've had since, again, M- Mungu's Room Quiz Two, uh, and then I suddenly found it in the book and was like, oh, okay, cool. So I don't I don't think I have anything else. The only thing I would probably want the system. I think the level of simulation on the system is is good. Sometimes I wish that it did a bit more simulation, but then I usually when I try to tam- uh, tamper with it myself, I find out there's a reason it doesn't. So so for instance, one could be like hit locations. Uh, we almost in in, in in historical martial arts we very rarely with one-handed weapons hit each other's legs. They just if you hit the opponent's leg, you just wide open the, the head. Yeah, yeah. So so. I um, in other but but in other situations if we look at uh, medieval dead from like the Battle of wispy a lot of hits are on the legs probably because they didn't have as much armor on the legs as they did on the upper body and they had you know more on one side because one was covered by a shield and some of these things will have tendency to like roll up into combat in, into from like passive blocking will protect one side better than the other maybe but I think if, if you wanted to add more simulation that would be the area to go but then why is it more fun to play um i don't i don't think so uh is it is it, is it slower to to evaluate at the table definitely uh, i I've, I've tried to work some systems and, and it usually usually end up with big tables or multiple dice rolls and stuff so so i completely understand why they chose to just say 1d20 you could do it even faster by going the the, the warhammer route where you use the actual hit roll to decide but then um the special effect choice comes messed up because there's no need you you already know where you're going to hit which means sometimes you don't need to choose location to hit there yeah. but it doesn't mess up the system but so you could you could do it but but still it removes some interesting choices right okay. another thing i would like it maybe to tackle would be psychology because mm. That's one of the things that is left over up to common sense, as we discussed before. There are things mentioned in the uh, the gaming advice and creatures chapter about how creatures and, and, and some people will act. But I, would, I, I could see a system in place for... And I'm not talk, talking like uh, sanity points, like the thing in the companion uh, with tenacity and where you get things. I'm more thinking like, if you're in a combat, if you take someone's leg out, what is their chance... That they're gonna continue fighting from the ground for instance Uh, you you, as a gm you can just say a willpower role and then fine but it could be you could have some interesting things there and that's a level of simulation where i actually think it might add some more fun because you can start thinking like reverse psychology and saying oh these people i'm fighting are peasants they have a low willpower role so if i get that guy those three others are probably gonna back off because that's the leader
2: so mor- um, sort of a morale sort of situation. Yeah,
1: both personal, personal morale. Are you going to con- continue fighting when your shield arm has been blown out? And, and group morale, right? On, yeah. an, on a lower level than what the uh, battle rules do from shields and shield walls. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I could see that, and I'm thinking about making it, but I haven't gotten the time right now. But it, it needs to be fun, first of all, and it needs to be quick to evaluate. And it needs to be it needs to be something not too random it needs to be of course it should be based on the willpower skill but it needs to be something uh, non-random enough that you can start doing reverse psychology uh, okay. to try to, to to try to like game it a bit so that it becomes something that can inform your target selection with ranged weapons and and maybe start informing the way that you kill someone because you might have taking someone's leg out with a bleed or not leg out take, uh, applying a bleed effect on someone it's a very subtle way of killing them they're going to continue for a bit if they succeed on their willpower role and then then they're gonna to fall to the ground. Whereas a more spectacular way of doing it, like bashing his head in when he's on the ground and continue bashing when he's dead, might have a bigger psychology impact on his on his uh, on his tribesmen or his unit and might scare them off or might enrage them and and, and make them fanatical yeah, or something yeah, yeah. like that. I, I could see that more. I could see a system for that. It should be expressible in one or two pages, maximum free. It should be
2: some hints of that in there here and there. I mean like intimidating scream special effect that or combat style trait that, that that would apply to. And there's there's things like drop foe, which you know is an endurance check with firearms. Um, but I could easily see that being turned around into a willpower role. Or particular yeah. effects, uh, you know. and
1: and and it's something that the the game master can can do uh, him or herself fairly without too too much work. Again, it's it's to some degree it's common sense, but because it relies on the the game master's common sense, it's much harder to game from the players. Yeah. But uh, to use reverse psychology, right? Of course, if they if they narrate it when they're doing it. I think if they, when they talk around the table and they say, we're going to go for this guy, because if we take him out, those other peons are just going to run off. And of course the GM can pick up on it and say, oh, in the back of it said, oh, that's a good idea. I'm going to write yeah, that down. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And then uh, and then apply it uh, because then you've sort of stayed as a player. That this is the framework you're working within that. If you do this, then they should take a willpower role. Right. So you're sort of. Sounds like being ex- explicit about your common-sense assumptions about the world, right?
2: That, in essence, is role-playing, right? Like, that's you're yeah, role-playing environment. So that that's something that you want to encourage your players to do is like, the, okay, so as a GM, I, I need to role-play these people a little bit better than just playing them as mechanical bits on the board.
1: Yeah, yeah. and I sort of hinted at it in, in both combat modules, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, the psychology of combat is actually incredibly important, and and so I, I could I could see it supported by a subsystem.
2: And that was uh, part one of our discussion with Dan True. Tune back in for part two, where we just talk about a new supplement called the uh, Book of Schemes. Until right, next time, this is Raviel and Bill Harzia on opposed rolls. <laughs>
1: いや